Welcome to Younger Older. I'm Dave Wager, the older guy. And normally, I am with either Jason or Todd, but today I'm with Matthew. And Matthew, um, where are you from? Uh, originally, I'm from Rhinelander, Wisconsin. Rhinelander? Wow, that's, that's up north even of us. People think we're up north. Uh, our area here is really not up north. It's Silver Birch Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. Uh, we're we're kind of central in a way. Um, but actually, you are at the place we call the Refuge, which is a, a, one of the facilities of Silver Birch Ranch. And Highway 64, you can see it from your place, right? Yes, you can. Well, anything north of that is supposed to be north. So that's how north we are. We're right there. And I tell people from Chicago who think we're far, we're as far south as you can be and still be north. So that's who we are. So uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, your family. What brought you up to this area? Uh, Sure. So um, I'm 28 years old, married, uh, my beautiful wife, Kelsey, and I, we've been married for six and a half years. Um, She uh, she and I, we met in Rhinelander in high school, high school sweethearts. And uh, after, after high school, um, went to college and I got my bachelor's degree at UW-Wisconsin Whitewater in uh, liberal studies, philosophy, and world religions. And uh, about a week and a half, no, two weeks after I graduated, uh, Kelsey and I got married on New Year's Eve. And then a week and a half after that, we moved down to Springfield, Missouri, where she got her bachelor's in biblical counseling and I got my master's at uh, Missouri State University in religious studies. Um, now, are those, are those secular schools? They are. So how did your Bible teaching go on at secular schools? It was really interesting. So I tried a, I tried a lot of different things. So, I mean, of course, there were cer- certain groups like uh, Navigators or InterVarsity that I went around to here and there. Um, definitely not my strongest years as far as my bachelor's degree was concerned, especially. Um, but it was really interesting. I had uh, some really great... Um, non-believing friends there and there were times like I even got permission to host Bible study in the commons area of our dorm floor and that was a really great opportunity um, because everyone on the floor knew that you know I was a Christian and I was a believer and I was I was very vocal about what I did believe to the point where you know they referred to me throughout college as Pastor Matt actually and it was really funny because it got to the point um, in college that I would be walking down the sidewalk and someone would say, hey, Pastor Matt, and I have no idea who you are. Huh. So it's just really great, um, you know, that even in that secular setting, too, like these people recognize that um, I was a believer and they recognize that I didn't do the Well, same how did things. the studies go with you being a believer? Were they all professors, believers? Professors at the school? Yeah. Certainly not, no. So how did that go with your studies? Oh, man. That was uh, complicated at times. I definitely had uh, some professors that were trying to sway me the other way, um, had you know, expressed disappointment, basically, when I r- continued to reaffirm that I did believe in the Bible. and uh, That was hard because I had a lot of professors that um, I would have, throughout my degree, would have said, you know, they're professors, but it's, there's also like, you know, a semi-formal friendship there. And it right. was kind of heartbreaking at times just to see how that turned on its head the moment I didn't 
uh, believe in the end what they wanted me to believe. Right. You know, I, I, I've always wondered, though, because I went to Wheaton College. Right. Um, I didn't get a degree in Bible. My, my Bible degree came from nowhere. It came from growing up in church with a dad who taught like a Bible teacher. And back those in those days, in my days, um, you had an hour Sunday morning, an hour Sunday night, and usually an hour and a half Wednesday night of teaching. And it was usually in series, and you actually had doctrine courses. In fact, that one of the doctrine books that I use for my class now at Nicolay Bible Institute, my dad wrote for his church, and it was a series he did on Sundays. You know, so it's one of those things. So churches have changed a lot because, it, it, you know, when we went to church as a kid, we were extremely well-grounded if you paid attention at all. Uh, you were extremely well-grounded when you came out. Uh, and so, you know, I can see if, you know, going to Wheaton, I, I went into education. I didn't go into Bible. You could have gone into Bible there. Right. Uh, but I didn't. I uh, went to education courses. And then when I got my master's, I stayed in education courses. And I still find it interesting that I teach the Bible now, mostly. Um, so, uh, but however, the education did me well um, to learn how people think and, and how we can move them from part of, you know, point A to point B. Um, but, I, but I've often wondered, because I've seen young men, and I haven't seen young ladies do this too much, because I don't mentor them like the guys. But I've seen young men who have gone to major secular universities and studied religion and a lot of them did not end well a lot of them came out extremely messed up i can understand why i mean yeah. so in my bachelor's degree it was philosophy and so i mean i don't have to go into too much detail on where that could be a little right a little tricky at times um it did it did give me a good you know groundwork for some logic so i could actually think for myself and not have to so is your major philosophy itself? So I, so I wanted to go to UW-Whitewater um, for a lot of reasons. The campus just felt right when I went there. And uh, funny enough, I spent a lot of time in the bowling alley. That was a draw for me. Okay. Uh, they had one right there on campus. Um, but so is that how you chose the school? You liked how it looked and you liked the bowling alley? Well, that, that was certainly part of it. And it was cheaper. <laughs> okay. Um, I had guidance counselors, of course, that were saying, you know, apply for, apply for tougher schools, apply for tougher schools. And I was like, well, I don't want to pay for a tougher school. You know right. what I mean? And um, so what I did essentially is I went, on, I went to a liberal studies major. I was actually the first person in the entire university to, um, in the entire university to start out their program essentially with a declared liberal studies major because usually it was one of those things that, Kids don't know what they're doing. Okay. And so while that wasn't how, why the degree was formulated, it was formulated to give a well-rounded education that was satisfying for employers with the graduates that they're popping out and stuff like that. Um, but I did that with the minor in philosophy and the minor in world religions, which are all three in the same department. Um, I was the first person to ever take all three um, of their programs, essentially. And so for my department alone, I had well over 70 credits out of my 120 university credits. Um, but I did that on purpose, too, because I took it upon myself to basically say, hey, what is the equivalent of a religious studies major at UW-Madison? What is the equivalent of a philosophy major at UW-Madison? And so I essentially um, planned out my semesters so that I had what would be considered 
the equivalent of a dual, like a double major in philosophy, world religions with a minor in liberal studies, um, really just took a hold of the reins of my program. Okay, so, so what did you have in mind when you started this? Where did you want to go with it? I mean, why? I mean, I can understand all the weirdness that, that you put together and made a, one big bundle. Sure. Uh, but I'm, I'm trying to figure out, okay, you're a freshman. Mm-hmm. You're looking, okay, I'm going to graduate. What did you want to do with this homemade major? Sure. Um, so ever since high school, philosophy has really been something that has just interest me because ideas have consequences, right, Dave? They do. And yep. um, so I just wanted to be able to give an argument and not have to rely on uh, fallacies or circular reasoning or something so that when someone like my professors or like the students that I was in school with asked a question, like um, almost like inter- almost in terms of like philosophical apologetics, Right. I would have something to tell them. Right. Um, and sometimes that's a rabbit trail and a half, but at least, at least then I had something. And so I went into the program wanting to basically challenge myself in that way uh, with the idea that afterwards, originally, I was looking to do something along the lines of uh, being a youth pastor. Okay. So, so basically, cause I, I have known other philosophy majors, especially at Wheaton, Sure. And I questioned all of them all the time, like, what do you want to do with this? Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like you want to sit by a tree and think for the rest of your life and sort it out. Sounds now, nice. It, it's, it's funny because I love philosophy. Right. I mean, personally, I, I like sitting and thinking, and I could be sitting by a tree and thinking things out. And, and I, I haven't figured out yet if the tree that falls with nobody hearing it, if it made a sound or not. But it, it, if I ever do, I'll let the world know uh, what I concluded at that point. Um, I know when my professor asked me, I said, who cares? So that was my answer back then. And uh, that didn't work. By the way, in a philosophy class, they want you to figure out more than who cares. But I was trying to figure out, I spent my philosophy time trying to figure out why do you care about these things? Which was its own question in philosophy. Right. You know, I mean, which they didn't acknowledge was their own question in philosophy. So I was on a whole different track as far as, because almost everything we studied, I said, why do we, we want to know this? And why would you spend your time doing this when there's these other issues that possibly you should think through? Right. You know, um, and again, the sound in the tree is very simple, but it, it's one of those where I said, I'm not spending time there. Sure. Because I don't think it's going to go anywhere and I don't think it matters. Mm-hmm. And uh, they didn't like that answer though. So, but I find it intriguing that you went in uh, wanting to do philosophy because most of the guys that I knew that did that wanted to end up teaching philosophy. It's a circular major. It is. You know, you, you, you learn philosophy, you teach philosophy, you die a philosophy teacher. And you, you basically do that. And, right. and so I, I never understood it. And I made kind of that circle, too, because originally when I went to uh, Springfield, Missouri, after my bachelor's degree, I was thinking about going into youth ministry. But um, it wasn't long after being there that I was just, I, was, I wasn't sure that I would felt called to be a youth pastor. Um, okay. And so I was thinking about all this stuff that I, things I enjoyed, things I was, you know, relatively good at. Um, and so I, at that point, was thinking, okay, well, instead of being a youth pastor, what if I do go into teaching? And what if I do eventually pursue a, a degree in philosophy, which is why I ended up going to uh, Missouri State University with the idea that after that, maybe seek out a PhD program in philosophy of religion. Okay. And, and you would have still been willing to do that at a secular university? 
I mean, at that point, I was certainly looking at other options, but yeah, um, I was just open to. Well, I mean, you obviously got uh, grabbed your heart, and you had an anchor point somewhere um, right. where you could go back to and say, "Well, here's how I evaluate." It, did you find that um, what was your background as a kid that gave you enough understanding of the bit of the Bible to? Uh. Go forward, or is it just within your personality to have grabbed that? I mean, obviously, you like to sit and think, right? So, probably when you're reading the story of Jonah, you're probably thinking it through and trying to figure it out. So, what was your background that made you be able to have those anchor points? Ah, uh, well, I wasn't anchored for quite a while there. Uh, raised Lutheran, and um, I didn't really grow up going to church too much. Um, it was one of those things where originally, before we had moved the first time, my uh, my family lived just a couple blocks away from church, and so every now and then, mom and dad would you know send my sister and I off to uh, walk down to church, and we go to Sunday school. Uh, never really took part in service, but then in junior high, we were required um, by our parents to uh, take part in confirmation classes. Uh -huh. Um, and so we did the confirmation thing and most of the kids in my class, of course, they get confirmed in the church and then they just kind of disappear off in the periphery. Um, but, uh, for whatever reason, it just, that wasn't what I did. It got to the point where at that point we had moved and we were out of town and I was still continuing to ride my bike into town every Sunday and ride back, um, so that I could keep going to church. Um, and that was a that was a bit of a wild ride too, just because I don't know at that time re religion just really just like you said, God just grabbed a hold of my heart at some point there because uh, in junior high, man, I was actually hoping to uh be a cartoonist okay fun fact, I really loved art and I had won some art contests and um that was my goal, and then it was like hitting a brick wall one day, and it was like drawing does not interest me. And what does interest me is religion and philosophy. Um, so that was, that was an interesting turn for sure. Okay. Um, and so when my wife and her family moved into Rhinelander, which was my sophomore year of high school, um, it wasn't long, and I started going to her church, uh, which was Pine Grove Community Church in Rhinelander. And uh, I just wanted to keep going. And it was just, it was different, and it was personal and I felt like I was actually coming to a relationship with our savior you know yeah. it was just it wasn't reciting the same liturgy every day um to the point where like back in the Lutheran church um my friends that I had from youth group we would have silly competitions essentially to have like see who could recite the liturgy each Sunday best from memory right um and so the idea even that I couldn't do that in um, in the community church, I had to pay attention, you <laughs> yep. know, there you go. Um, so it just, God just grabbed my heart. So, so you began to be in a church where you understood the relational side. Uh, um, and obviously there's a point where you, you understood and placed your trust in Christ mm -hmm. at, at some point. Was that early in life? Was that later in life? What, what was that? Um, later in life. Um, so as far as actually trusting in Christ, um, that was a uh, that was in the second half of high school, um, and I was fairly certain that it was um, that I was saved, but it was just one of those things where it was still I was still just 
yeah. a fresh, you know, a fresh Christian. And uh, my senior year of high school, I went on foreign exchange to Belgium. And uh, there were times in Belgium where um, my professors and students would, you know, fellow students like, um, would just yell at me basically for believing in the Bible, saying it's archaic belief and that I was dumb. Oh, brother. But I would have, I had, I had a biology teacher stop me in the middle of like the commons, hundreds of students around and just yell at me for believing it. Um, and it was, it was a very difficult time. Uh, it certainly prepared me for my degree afterwards. Um, but that all being the case, it just really hit home that there's, again, something, something different about me and what I believe and what I'm standing for. And I have hope and it's okay. And I don't care if they're right. going to say mean things about it. Like I believe it because it's true. Right. Um, and to the point where like after that, even like I started, there were a couple of professors that were our teachers rather, but they were interested in hearing what I had to say because it was a public Catholic school. Right. And they were required to have religion classes. And so there were a couple of teachers that asked me if I would like to take part in teaching some of the lessons. And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. And so I got to, I got to teach all of the kids that I had classes with essentially in two different grades because of how I jumped around right. with being foreign and whatnot. Um, about what I believed about who God was and what the Bible says and how we understand it and how, how God works in our hearts. And it was just a tremendous opportunity. Um, and again, um, just knowing that you stand for something different. And so the moment I got back, I went back to church and I was like, I want to know when our next baptism is. Like, I am certain that I am saved. I want to take that next, yeah. next step. And I just want to make it known to everyone. Like, I believe in Jesus. Yeah. You know what? It's interesting because I think what you did was you described a process by which so many people really need to go through. I mean, they go through a process of, okay, I know there's a God. I know I'm not him. Mm -hmm. um, and then they realize what, that, that there's a problem, and the problem is sin, and right. we're separated from God, and that, that God provided for us in that problem, mm -hmm. and he provided Jesus. So it's different. The Bible tells us that, that Satan believes in Jesus. Right. That's, just believing in Jesus is meaningless because that's not what allows us to be in God's family. So there's a process where, okay, I believe there's a God. I believe that he sent Jesus. But there comes a time in life where you go, no, that's where my hope is. My hope is in Jesus. Right. Now, regardless of how you get there, you know, people get there all kinds of ways mm -hmm. um, and in different countries and different places. I mean, I'm not God. I don't bring people to myself that way. He does. Uh, but the, the issue is not, there's not a, a quick answer where you can say, oh, you believe in Jesus, so now you're a Christian. Well. You know, Satan believes in Jesus, so he's not a Christian. So, right. so we have a problem there. It's really getting to the point where you realize, man, I'm, I'm loved by God. I'm separated from him. Jesus, you paid the price so I wouldn't have to be. And the day that you put your trust in what he did for you, mm -hmm. that's when you're part of his family. And I love that idea because it's like an adoption, actually. Um, and that's the word the Bible uses. There's a point where all of a sudden your status changes. And if you adopt somebody, that's what happens. There, there's a point where their status changes. They're no longer outside the family. They're now inside the family. 
And for people that say, no, it's progressive, I say, no, it isn't. It, it really isn't. It, there's a point where you're inside God's family. And they say, well, what if you don't act like a believer? Well, we don't always act like we're part of the family. I mean, honestly, um, I, I love using the illustration like this. There, there's a, let's say um, there's a boy that wanted my family to adopt him or something, and so he was always over at my house washing my car, right. you know, and doing my lawn and that kind of thing. And I kept getting, whenever he came over, I said, what are you doing? He said, well, I want to be in your family, so I'm doing all this stuff. And I'm thinking, that's not going to get you in our family. There's only one way into our family. You know, my wife and I are going to need to go adopt you. I, this lawn stuff doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That, that's nothing. So one day we go through the process, whatever, we, get, we adopt a kid. And, and then first day after he's adopted, I go cut the lawn. And, you know, he says, I thought I didn't need to do that to be in the family. Well, you don't, but you're in the family, so now go cut the lawn. You know I mean? It's one of those things where people get that messed up. You know, right. they're trying to cut the lawn to be in God's family. And God's saying, you don't get in my family by cutting the lawn. So then we put our trust, we, we accept what Jesus did for us, and then God says, cut the lawn. You know, it's like, wait a minute, I thought I didn't have to do that. Well, no, see, you're messing up two concepts here. Mm-hmm. You still need to maintain the house and cut the lawn and do things you should do, but it doesn't have any status on whether you're my child or not. So if the adopted child didn't cut the lawn, I'd still say, well, you're still my child, so go out and cut the lawn anyway. And, you know, and then you realize you're either going to cut the lawn because you want to or you're going to cut the lawn because you have to. But either way, you're going to cut the lawn. You know what I mean? right. So it's those things, and I think that uh, you're a good candidate for just really continuing to uncover the idea of being, you know, there's, um, there's people who just misunderstand Christianity totally. It isn't going to a church and standing up, sitting down, and giving money. I, I mean, and then they say, well, that's what I do, and I am a believer. Well, you might be doing that as a believer. I mean, you might be doing that. Right. But that's not what makes you a Christian. And um, it's intriguing to me that you went through the whole philosoph- philosoph- you know, philosophical ideas and that kind of thing. So I'm, gonna, I'm still investigating the early mind frame of you. You wanted to be a youth pastor, and then you didn't want to be a youth pastor. And, then, and I don't think that's unusual. Young people are not always sure what they want to do after high school. Right. So that, to me, is a pretty normal thing. And uh, normally, that's why I'm such a big fan of like Nicolay Bible Institute. Yeah where they can take a year and just learn some basics, learn the Bible and learn how to die to themselves, which are two things that I don't care where you go in life. You're, you're not going to regret that. And in a way, that's what you were saying you wanted. You yeah. wanted to know God, and you wanted to know how to serve. Definitely. Yeah, so find a place that does that if you want to. And Nicolay Bible Institute is one of those places. Um, and you can do that a harder way if you want to. Um, but there might be some easier ways, uh, you know, to do that. Certainly. Yeah. Uh, so along the, the journey, though, uh, obviously, God preserved you, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and what do you think he preserved you for? What, what are you looking, what, what gets you excited today when you look forward and say, you know, how is he using some of the stuff that he put in your life during college? And oh, how is he using it now? Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot of things. I mean, perseverance, it's not just, it's not simple enough to even say it's just this, 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 and this. Like, they all build upon each other so much right. for, you know, making, what, for God to make the character out of you that he wants you to be. You know, refining your heart. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, it's, it's the programs, it's, it's, it is 
you know, foreign exchange in Belgium. It was my bachelor's degree. It was a religious studies master's where nobody wanted to talk about what people actually believed. Right. Do you think his hand was on you the whole time, guiding you and directing you? I mean, absolutely. Okay. So what's interesting to me is, is that you had to have, I think, a, uh, a willing heart for that. Yeah. And you had to desire, correct me if I'm wrong, but, but I'm thinking you had to want to know what God wanted more than your teachers. Okay. Is it, would that be correct? assumption i mean i mean i would say that would be a correct assumption given that you know because it seems to me as you're talking it's like no i i the professors would say this yeah my teachers would say this but for some reason i didn't buy everything they said right okay what's the reason because they were smart people right but you didn't buy it no i mean okay so something was happening in your heart yeah somewhere you were anchored as the word i used before somewhere you were anchored Definitely. And it, it, it either, you know, I think when I look back on my life, there were these moments, I think, where I look back now and I'm 64 now. And I think, you know, at that moment in life, my life could have been destroyed. Right. It wasn't. And I look and if I think of it, I say, thank you, God, for some reason you, you swooped in, mm-hmm. changed the circumstances because I was close to being destroyed right there. Right. You know, I mean. It, whether it be something I was doing or something something else was doing that I could have been a part of. You know, I grew up in Chicago. There's gangs in Chicago. There's all kinds of stuff there. There's all kinds of things you can get involved in that you probably shouldn't be somehow. Right. Um, and for some reason, you know, the guys that I picked to be friends, they were other guys at the youth club. They were guys that loved God. My influences started to be those people. Right. My anchor points started to be evident. Yeah. And so if you're a young person and you're listening, see, I'm, what I'm trying to say is you need an anchor point in life. You need to have it. When you leave that home, when you go out in the world, you need an anchor point. You can't go out there and say, I'm going to just believe anything I'm, or, or I'm going to evaluate it with no anchor point. Right. And, and the fun part of what I had in life and what you've had um, is that the Bible became that anchor point. Right. And to legitimately read it, to try and understand what it said, what God was saying, and not what you wanted God to say. Right. And therefore, if God said something, it didn't matter if Einstein was going against it. Right. It didn't matter because God, uh, and I say this to the young eight-year-olds all the time, um, you know, his dumbest thought is smarter than my smartest. Mm -hmm. So there is no human being that can come up and match God with their ability to think. So if God's word says it, I need to anchor in it. Definitely. The problem's going to be if you're a young person listening to us today and you do not have a knowledge of the scriptures at all and you haven't worked towards it. You need to change that. You need to do something uh, to change that status or, or you're going to get to a place where the winds of, of philosophy and religion are going to blow all over the place, and it's going to blow you like a, a, a sailboat without a rudder, and you're just going to be all over the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not a great life to have. Well, we're going to continue to talk with Matthew here, and uh, we got another uh, half hour to go. And I appreciate those of you that are listening. This is Younger Older, brought to you from the studios of Relate365.com on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute, which is really a division of Silver Birch Ranch.
So we look forward to you checking those websites out, and we'll be back in a moment. 